Hi everyone, I'm Oliver Roth, a Broadway producer at O. Henry Productions. You're listening to The O. Henry Report, the podcast by Broadway World, which gives you a one-of-a-kind look inside the business of Broadway. In the report, we pull back the curtain on the biggest stories, issues, and trends in the industry. And this is our first episode of the 2018-2019 Broadway season, and we can't wait to see what's in store for us on The Great White Way this year. This week, we're going to start things off by talking about what is probably the saddest thing you could discuss on Broadway, closing a show. We'll take a look at why a show decides to close and what actually happens backstage and offstage leading up to and after the final performance. First, we'll talk to Daniel Cuny, the president and founder of KGM Theatrical, who will take us through the financial and logistical operations behind closing a show. Then, we'll talk to Tony Award winner Kevin McCollum about the uncommon circumstances of The Play That Goes Wrong and how and why he decided to unclose that show. As we relearned this summer, just because a show announces closing, that doesn't necessarily mean its run ends. The play that goes wrong, which had announced that it would close on August 26, 2018, back in May, decided in July to push back its closing performance to January 6, 2019. We'll talk about the mechanics behind this move in the second half of the show when we speak to the show's producer, Kevin McCollum. Before we speak to Kevin, I wanted to speak with the general manager about the inner workings of a Broadway closing. Though often a bittersweet moment, Every show that opens must close. Here to talk with us about some of the behind-the-scenes operations surrounding a final performance is Daniel Cuny. Daniel is the president and founder of KGM Theatrical, which is one of the leading general management companies in the business. KGM represents live entertainment around the country, and they are currently represented by the long-running comedy hit Puffs, now playing in New York, and Heartbreak Hotel, which just completed its run in Chicago. Upcoming credits include Reefer Madness and Cleopatra. Previous credits include Heathers, Rock of Ages, Fella, A Night with Janis Joplin, The 39 Steps, Ultra Boys, and many more. You can read more about the work that KGM does and get tons of useful tips for producing your own work at kgmtheatrical.com. And now, let's turn to a conversation with Daniel Cuny. Daniel, it's so great to have you here. Um, you're our, our certainly most frequent guest of the show, and we really appreciate it. I think this is your third time on it. And today we're talking about something uh, that's uh, not that talked about, I think, in the general public. Um, and for good reason, it's probably the saddest part of our jobs, and that's closing a show. Or sometimes it can be happy, but uh, in general, I think it's it's not the, the happiest part. Um, so I just want to start with what might be an obvious sounding question. But I want to start with the a conversation of when as a general manager or, or, or you know, as a, t- as a producing team, administrative team of a show, when a conversation about closing might start. So, and I guess that there, there might be a few different reasons, but wh- wh- why might it be time to close a show? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me back on the podcast, Oliver. I always love joining you. So the conversation about why to close a show, you know, we try to begin it as early as possible. Um, obviously, as you said, sometimes it's a sad conversation, but if we do our job correctly, it's not always such a sad occasion. Um, but you know, I would say in general, most shows will run as long as there's a paying audience. And as long as everyone feels confident that they can remain profitable from week to week. So what would typically happen as I'm looking at the numbers and the projections of what we expect to come in we're making some, you know, really educated guesses about what our income is going to be like over the next few months. And at that point, if 
the general manager and the producer can start to sense that maybe there's a decline, um, we begin to have that conversation. Uh, now, that being said, we if we've done our job correctly, we've planned for closing, as you said, really from the start of the production. But the conversation about when exactly to close, you know, we're, we try to, you know, give it as much lead time as possible. And so obviously we're talking mostly about open runs. When it's a, when it's a limited run, closing is sort of stated up front. Maybe you get an extension, but that seems like it's, um, that seems like a, a time where you really are planning for closing from the get go and you sort of know when you might end, right? Yes. There's two reasons why a show would close. One is you anticipate that the audience is, you know, dropping off to a level where you're not going to be able to remain profitable. And number two is you've planned it from the start. Either you have some stars with limited availability or you are going into a theater with limited availability or some combination of the above. And you know that with the stars that you have, you'll be able to turn a profit in that limited number of weeks. Obviously, as a general manager, you are thinking about closing, even a, a long-running show from day one. And we're going to get into that in, in a second uh, about what happened, what the conversation is on day one. But what I'm wondering now is when it actually comes time, you know, let's say you see your numbers dipping uh, and you think uh, or or whatever the reason is, you, you, you feel that it's time that the show closes. Is there a ballpark of how long before a show closes or a closing notice is published that – you know that you're going to be closing the show. And, and I use no sort of uh, liberally. Maybe you haven't made the firm decision, but it's something that is really seriously being talked about between you and a producer. You know, again, I would say we try to make closing have as long of a lead time as possible. Um, and some of this, in an interesting way, is dependent on the time of year that you expect to close. You know, let's say you know, I'm working on a show and it had a really phenomenal summer, but I'm looking at fall sales and they, they really just don't seem sustainable. We've had a four year run. We feel like, you know, everything, we have a trajectory that we typically follow year after year where we have a great summer sales dip in the fall. We have a great winter um, through the holidays, but then January, February, things die off, die off again. You know, we may make the decision around Labor Day to close at the end of the holiday period, at the end of December, um, because then we can really go out with a bang. And in that case, you know, we would do a proper closing campaign. We would say, you know, must close January 6th. And we would really work with the advertising and the marketing and social companies to make sure that that message is out there. We know that the end of December is going to be a peak period for us anyway, but this way, we can really capitalize on both the closing and the holiday weeks to make sure that people are coming to see us before we're no longer there. So that, that brings up a, a great uh, a great sort of side conversation for us to have, which is when you're in that fortunate situation, you, you do get to work with the, the marketing and press and, and advertising teams to push uh, a closing campaign, right? It makes sense that if we're trying to sell tickets and there are people who maybe have said, oh, well, I'll see that eventually, that if we post a closing notice um, or a closing, you know, if we, if we announce that they were closing, those people might be persuaded to buy tickets. In your um, experience, if, if you have enough lead time, do you do you think that announcing closing and really getting the word out there really does move the needle on ticket sales? You know, I would really say it depends on a number of factors. Number one 
of which is probably how popular was your show when it was doing well. If you had a strong fan base, the closing notice is a great, is a really great call to action to bring them back one last time to see the show in New York. If the show opened and never really developed that fan base and you're playing to mostly unprofitable weeks and you're closing in a fairly bad time of year, it's probably not going to move the needle quite that much. In which case, you know, instead of saying we're going to close three months from now, we might have a much briefer closing window. You know, maybe we, we look at things and we say, you know what, we, we made a good run of this, but we're not going to see any tick up from announcing closing. We are losing money every week. You know, let's close this thing down in the next two or three weeks. And then obviously, and there are a few times where that campaign might be so successful that you actually decide you don't want to close the show, uh, which I guess is the the absolute best that that can ever go. You know, if you've done everything right and you've played to a fairly loyal fan base during your entire run and you announce closing and to your wonderful surprise, you find that there's an audience that wasn't motivated to buy tickets before that suddenly is, that in turn goes out and spreads word of mouth about your show, it could have that effect. I think it is rare, but I think, you know, in your conversation with Kevin, you'll probably find out that it does happen from time to time uh, where that closing campaign really brings out the people who had not yet committed to come see the show so much so that it turns the fortunes of the show around for a period of time. The next thing I want to talk about is, Bring us back to that idea that that actually you uh, thought you that you are thinking about closing from day one, and this is something that people who are not as familiar with the sort of inner workings of the industry and the way we budget shows might see might find surprising, though I think intuitive, which is that when you prepare budgets for a show, you need to think about the fact that eventually the show needs to close. So. Um, maybe if you could talk a little bit about uh, what, what that's like, what has to be budgeted for and, and when. For sure. So the short answer is closing a show, funnily enough, actually costs money. It's not like we just look at the money in the bank that we have and try to run the show until there's a zero balance. We have to prepare for the fact that there's going to be crews coming into the theater. There's going to be a restoration of the theater. You might have to store the sets. You'll for sure have accounting and legal fees once the show is closed. So closing a show is not free. So as a general manager, one of the things my job is to predict how quickly a show or how long a show might run and what kind of budget the show is going to need at the end of the run, how much money we need to be setting aside from day one to make sure we can cover all those closing costs. And is there a ballpark, um, maybe percentage or, or something or, or, or flat rate that closing a show might cost? There's really not. I, I think it depends. Is it a Broadway show or an off-Broadway show? And then also, what does the show hope to accomplish once it's closed? You know, there are some shows that want to go out on a tour and the physical production, the sets, the costume, the props, those are all useful for the tour, but the tour might not happen for a year. So we need to store it. And we store it in you know, airtight containers in New Jersey or Connecticut. 
you know, that's fairly expensive, especially if we're waiting a whole year before we're going to take those props and costumes out of storage. On the other hand, you might have a show that's run on Broadway and feels like it had a wonderful life. There's, there's no plans for the show to tour. And all that that show wants to do is sit back and collect licensing revenue for the next 40 years. So it really depends on what the goals of the production are and at what level the show ran, Broadway versus off-Broadway, while it was here in New York. And so when you when you budget uh, at the very beginning of a run and you don't – obviously, the, the decisions you just said are really important ones and are, and are informed by the run. Um, are you actually thinking about the post-Broadway strategy for a show on day one when you're budgeting in order to figure out what those closing costs might be? To some extent. My job as a general manager is always to look at every possible outcome and to try to most broadly plan for everything that I think is most likely to happen over the course of a show's life. Um, if we're a limited run with stars on Broadway, I have a pretty good idea that this show is not a show that's going to tour. It's built for a limited period of time to attract a New York tourist-based audience for 12 or 16 weeks. I'm probably not going to need to store this physical production at the end of the run. That being said, one trick or tactic that we often take during a show's run is we start saving up for closing right after the show is opened. So the show opens, I'll start setting aside four or $5,000 each playing week to build up that savings fund to cover all my closing costs. If I know that the show is a limited run, I actually might budget some money right up at the start of the production to make sure I have those closing costs saved. Got it. So I think the last thing that I want to ask is uh, something that I, I actually wasn't thinking about until until we started going into the, the reasons a show might close. But I think it's a um, it's something that gets brought up a lot in conversations about Broadway and about closing. And I think maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about it, which is a theater stop clause. I feel like there's, there's a lot, I, I hear about, I hear about people talking about the stop clause uh, more than, than, than makes sense. So, so I think let, let's first talk, uh, just to explain what that is and how that factors into closing, if you would. For sure. Sometimes that can play a rather large part in why a show closes because it's not always up to the show. So you mentioned something called the stop clause. This is a paragraph or two that's inserted into every theater lease that the show signs with the theater owners. And it pretty much says if the show underperforms or falls below a certain threshold, usually for two weeks in a row, the theater owner can exercise the right to terminate the show's lease. Uh, and really that just gives the theater the ability to say, to bring in another tenant if your show is underperforming. And so, um, I mean, like you said, so that means that if it, if it was used, if the stop clause was used by the theater owner, it'd actually be a close. Uh, you'd actually be forced to close rather than allow it to to be a decision of your own, which doesn't sound so fun. That's correct, and you know, I'd say in the most draconian version of the stop clause, you know, you could wake up on a Monday morning and there's a note from the theater owner saying, "This Sunday night is your last performance." Now, typically, the way we see this happen is, you know, theater owners, producers, sometimes the composers of the show, everyone has a relationship with one another. And because the industry is so small, 
everyone is likely going to be working together in the future. So what we normally see happen is the theater owner will come to us and say, look, you've fallen below your stop clause. You know, we really thought the show had a great chance. Let's try to find a way to have you out of the theater in six or seven weeks. So it's not quite so overnight. Or they can even come to you and say, look, you've fallen below your stop clause. We'd like you to make the following changes to your pricing, to your marketing strategy. We think there's still a chance, but if you're not able to turn things around, we're going to ask you to step aside in a few weeks. And to your knowledge, and obviously you're not the GM of every show, but how often uh, might, uh, let's say, let's not say a show be closed because of stop clauses, but how, how often is it that that conversation might happen? Is it pretty often if a show is struggling or, or is it in pretty rare circumstances? It's not rare. The thing to understand is if your show falls below the stop clause, there's a pretty good chance that your show is underperforming. And if you as the producer are working closely with your general manager, you have a pretty good sense already that the show is maybe not in trouble, but certainly something needs to change for its fortunes to improve. So ideally, it's not a surprise to anyone that the theater owners are going to be looking to execute that stop clause. And sometimes it's great if you and your general manager are on top of things to approach the theater owner before that even happens to start that conversation. The final thing I'll just add is this. If you and your general manager have done your work, closing should not be such a disappointment. It is hopefully a celebration of the successful run that you've had, all the work that you've done to mount the show on Broadway or off Broadway. And it's a sign that you've done everything right to play as long as possible while you can for the show's New York run and that the show's now going to go off in whatever form and have its continued life. Now that we have an idea of the mechanics of a Broadway closing, we're going to talk to Kevin McCollum about his experience closing shows. Now, Kevin is currently producing The Play That Goes Wrong on Broadway, which is a particularly interesting case because, as I mentioned earlier, this past May, Kevin and his team announced that The Play That Goes Wrong would close in August of 2018. Now, as we just heard from Daniel, that put the production in a position where it had three months to run a last-chance marketing campaign before its scheduled closing. What happened on The Play That Goes Wrong is that the campaign worked so well that in July, only a month or so before the supposed final performance, the production announced that closing would be pushed back to January 6, 2019. So, we're talking about closing a show on this episode you know obviously one of the reasons that i wanted to talk to you is that right now with the play that goes wrong you you probably have a very interesting perspective on ideas about why to close or not close a show but i think i first wanted to just start from 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 sort of base one whether you answer this question about the play that goes wrong or in general from your experience as a producer how do you know and, and maybe this is a very obvious answer how do you know when it is time to close a show closing a show is very tricky business and yet it is the one given that you can count on when you decide to open a show and so one of a producer's main responsibility is to 
maximize the exposure and business of whatever show you're working on. And so the play that goes wrong is a very unique uh, situation. It's a, it's one of it's the only show I have been the lead producer on that I didn't help create from day one. Um, uh, myself and my uh, partner in the U.S., J.J. Abrams, both loved the show in London, and we loved the authors. And we said, "Listen, let's move it to Broadway." And our British producers, Kenny Wax. And uh, Mark Bentley were were terrific partners, and we 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 decided let's do this together. So we did. Now, one of the benefits of having, first of all, the play is that your running costs are typically at least uh, you know two thirds, if not a half, of a typical musical, because there's far less departments to work with. And uh, oftentimes, uh, the, you don't need as many lights, you don't need as much sound, you don't need as much set. And this play ticked off all those boxes. So we are blessed with a very reasonable running cost. And we're also blessed with um, working with the Schuberts, who have a lot of playhouses and love to have plays in their theaters, and um, gave us the Lyceum Theater which is a, a wonderful venue for our show. So we have all the elements. So in opening, we open in a very, very you know competitive season with Dollhouse 2 and, and many wonderful plays and musicals opening. And we knew that to sell the show, we had to perform the show. So we didn't overspend on advertising, and our, we kept our running costs low. The success and being able to run the show and be at the you know the second longest running play in the history of the Lyceum, which is uh, thank you. Which actually it's show I won't even see see say play play or musical because we just passed. By the time we we do close in January now, which is our new closing date, we will have surpassed. Uh, I think it's called the Gaty Girls of 1919 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and the only play that will have run longer at the Lyceum than ours is born yesterday, the original, in 1947 it closed. So it's fascinating um, how we've been able to do that. And one of the reasons, just the, 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 the top-line reason, is we put together an economic philosophy to create low-running costs. So you announced closing because, I guess, I, I assume at the time it seemed like, despite the low-running costs, the show was going to run its course in, in August, right? I mean, I, no, no, let me... Let uh, me let me sure. talk about that a little Go bit ahead. more. As a producer, we deal with 16 unions and the theater owner. And there is pressure always in this current environment with Broadway being so vibrant and strong and so much capital flowing into the market to create new shows. Um, you know, one of the hardest jobs in our business is for a theater owner to sort of, you know, plan what's coming in next. And I come from booking, having started the booking office, now the booking group back in 91. So I'm always very cognizant this is a collaboration between the theater runner. Um, oftentimes, in fact, in all theaters, there's usually if you do under a certain amount of business, you and the theater have a conversation about when you might close. So without getting into too much detail, because it's always a fluid uh, market real estate, um, it was... The Schuberts knew and have known that, you know, I think our show can run a long time. 
And this happened from when we first opened in March, and we're looking at if we were going to close in 17 or run into 18, and here we are going into 19. So it's a constant conversation, and that it, that's, a, that's a relationship of trust and honesty. And, you know, my over 25 years of producing on Broadway and and understanding sort of trends and and how tourists uh, react, how locals around the tri-state react, and the fact of, is this show unlike any other show? And the wonderful thing about The Play That Goes Wrong is there's nothing like it. And it's great from ages 8 to 88. If you see it once, you want to see it again because it is so physical, and the comedy is so just universal of, of trying to get through your day when things are falling apart. Uh, is is something we all can relate to right now, too. I think uh, laughter is a great tonic for our time. So we're hitting a certain zeitgeist, as well as having a very uh, uh, honest and open relationship with the theater owner who sees the value in having the play stay. And I see the value in taking the risk to run to put another 18 weeks on sale. Right. And so that's a, con- that's a constant conversation. That isn't... There's no declarative from me or the theater owner it is a it is a working relationship that is worked every day to make the decisions to either close or extend and yet we have to also for contractual issues with our 16 unions try to communicate so that people can start looking for other work we, i try as right. a producer to give as much lead time as possible because i care deeply about I used to be an actor, and 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 everybody is is a is a for hire that that if the show closes, yes, legally I can give them a week's notice, but I don't think that's good for the business or good for my relationships. So you started to hit on this, but obviously the the conversation between you and the theater owners it was was fluid and was happening all the time in order to give you the opportunity to have such autonomy in deciding when to close the show. So I would just say this. Yeah. If I was new to producing, you know, this is is something that's built up over decades of behavior. So, you know, Motown, uh, which I ran, opened in 13, but we basically had a 26-week closing because I knew I was going to go out on tour with a lot of that physical. And also we felt, given being in a, you know, almost 1,500-seat theater, it was important. That's different than selling, you know, a 900-seat theater. And there was a lot of other musical competition coming on board, and we knew we had a great tour planned, and we knew we could come back also um, after our tour. So those were all factors leading into that, and it really worked because once we announced, we we sold a lot of tickets, we returned, uh, we recouped, and everybody won, and then the tour did fantastically. So it is about um, understanding how to maximize the assets you have and the trends of your show in the current environment. And every season is different. Every season is different. So this discussion of all the thought that has gone into some of your closing strategies, like what you just shared on Motown, speaks to how far ahead you as a producer uh, need to be planning. And we talked to Daniel Cuny earlier about how, as a GM, he's working with the producer to plan for closing starting on day one, far before the show even opens while drafting budgets uh, and incorporating an allotment for closing. And this knowledge from both of you about how much stock goes into closing and the future life of the show far before closing happens brings up the question of when then 
it becomes time to share these thoughts or a decision on final performance with A, the rest of the team, and B, the general public. So what can you tell us about how and when you make public your decision to close a show? I'll tell you how, I'll tell you what my philosophy is. I'm sure every producer might do it differently. Um, it's important to me that people working on the show know what we're doing before it's released to the general press. The general press in today's world is a very, very ravenous creature. And anybody, any comment to any individual, that individual can go tweet it and it becomes a press release. So, um, I, I, it, when in my companies and, and in the management of my companies, I try to uh, remind everybody, look, this is a security. This is a business. People's lives are, are, are impacted by these decisions, and we have to treat it with discretion until we're ready to announce. So it typically happens if, let's say, there's a press release going out at noon the next day that internally we decide and everyone you know, the theater owner and, and, and the general partner, and I am the general partner of the show, those people who really are in charge of the business have an agreement and we're ready to go. Typically what will happen is I will uh, personally, for also along with the general manager, go to the theater, uh, usually the, the evening before, and say, this is what we're doing and it's going to be released tomorrow at noon or one, and please do not share this with anybody, even your best friend, <laughs> because they might know somebody else who they tell, and all of a sudden it's in the paper before we've had an opportunity to also get the tickets on sale properly and, 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 and that. So basically the press release becomes the official document. I always, and I've been successful so far, try to reach the company, and that includes more than the actors. That also is the, uh, is the, uh, the theater staff. Um, at times, sometimes the theater owner will have to tell the treasurers a little bit ahead of time, but the treasurers know to keep it quiet because, again, their job is not to announce. Their job is to wait for the announcement, and then they're available because there has to be a lot of pre-work done when you're changing a closing date or announcing your first closing date. That communication and focus on communication seems tricky, but yet it's so important. Um, and so maybe one of the producer's most important jobs, at least when it comes to closing, is to make sure that all the individuals who make up the production feel a comfort in the way they are treated when they learn about a closing. And maintaining up until the final set piece is packed up and put away solid lines of communication within the company. A producer's job is to, you know, the primary relationship with a producer is that with the author. So if you can be a producer who, especially with living authors, to have their work seen by as long as possible, by as many people as possible, that's your job. And to respect all the people who work on it. So communication is key in a world that is over-communicative, that you can't control all streams of communication. One of the things I love about the theater is that, and I think why people are so attracted to it in today's day and age, is it's truly about people and, um, you know, for all the wonderful thoughts about you know, how difficult theater is, it's a tough business, but there's a lot of great people in the business and uh, respecting uh, their, how they live their lives, uh, which shows open and close, is, is, is really along with the the goals of taking care of the author's interests, what a, what a producer does. That's how I look at, 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 at how I produce. 
bringing this back to the play that goes wrong, can you speak to how you dealt with that aspect you just talked about, the human aspect, respect for individuals involved and their lives and their schedules, when you announced that you were pushing back the closing date? I imagine that when you push back a closing performance by five months, as you did in this case, maybe you have to recast, maybe you get lucky and none of the company had conflicts in place yet. How did you make sure that this extension would work with the cast and company's plans, as well as your own plans for those five months that everyone had thought would be after the final performance of the show? Well, it's working right now. We're in process. I don't look at that as, as, a, as a difficulty. I look at that as an opportunity. Why? One, if we had closed in August as, as what we had announced you know, back in the spring, we would have used elements of our set on the road. It, and we would have had to rebuild some of it to get the maximum aspect of the road. By having the set stay on Broadway, we're rebuilding a set specifically for touring. Why is that great? Currently, we, are, we have a 45-week tour. I, I am, you know, it's very possible we go into a second year of touring of this show. So if we had used the original Broadway set, we might need to replace it. So we are actually, it's an opportunity to say, let's build a set specifically to tour in the United States. And the United States touring rules are different than the touring rules in the UK. So just using the UK design doesn't quite make sense. And the UK design is kind of what we have on Broadway. So it's wonderful opportunities to create more efficiencies for long-term opportunities or conditions. I also want to say that The Play That Goes Wrong is one play written by three men called The Mischief Theater Company. And The Mischief Theater Company has many plays. So I'm not only producing The Play That Goes Wrong on Broadway, I am also bringing The Mischief Theater Company brand to Broadway. And they have other shows, Peter Pan Goes Wrong, they have a show called uh, Play About the Bank Robbery. So they are creators of more content and more comedy that uh, JJ and I are very anxious to uh, to bring to the United States. And the fact that it's getting the tour in places like Louisville and Cincinnati and, and, and Denver and Phoenix are going to see the show is very, very powerful to us long term. At the same time, we people, actors who were going to go on the road, uh, were in the middle of the, of the conversation. Like you know, yes, that you've agreed to go on the road, but maybe we want to play with that a little bit. Maybe you want to stay longer. And this is these are the things. So it's an opportunity for everyone to help figure out what's the most, what's the best way. Now we have two companies still running at the same time. Well, that means that means more economics for everyone who's been loyal to the show to stay with the show or choose what's best for them in their lives. And as a producer. My job is to make people feel safe and do their best work and give them as much opportunity as possible. Well, that's a great place for us to end this conversation because it leads us straight into our next episode, which will be about touring. Thank you for listening to The O'Henry Report. If you have any questions from previous episodes or ideas for the next one, tweet me at Oliver Henry Roth. You can find The O'Henry Report on broadwayworld.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. Basically, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, we're there. Be sure to follow Broadway World on Facebook and on Twitter at Broadway World for updates. You can find me on Twitter at Oliver Henry Roth, on Facebook at O. Henry Productions, and on the web at www.ohenryproductions.com. For myself and the rest of the O. Henry Report and Broadway World staff, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time when we talk about touring productions. <laughs>